0: Welcome to the School of the Forest podcast, episode 27. Hello, everybody. Got kind of a short one um, this week. Uh, this is the second half of my conversation with Murphy Robinson of Mountain Song Expeditions. Um, and I, I cut this one kind of short um, because I, I really wanted to highlight what we talk about here, which is the guided trips that Murphy takes people on. Um, there's a lot of people that have an interest in getting into hunting, and it's pretty it's a pretty overwhelming thing to try to just put your toe into. Um, And Murphy presents a really, really awesome way for um, people that maybe traditionally aren't participating in the hunting culture in America to get to get that toe into the into the water, as it were. Um, We also go into talking about the myth of the lone hunter um, and this kind of idea of hunting being something that's just a solitary thing rather than really community based, um, which it always was in human history until sort of the modern The modern days. Um, So I hope you enjoy this second half of my conversation with Murphy. And if you haven't listened to the first part yet, I suggest you go do that because we're going to lay a lot of groundwork in that one for this episode. Thanks and enjoy the show. Been listening to the School of the Forest podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, I hope you share it with a few friends. If you did like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other of the major podcast hosting platforms. And lastly, if you'd like to learn more about School of the Forest programs, please check us out at schooloftheforest.com and get in touch with us at any of the contact information you'll find on that site. Thanks. So you mentioned that these guided hunts that you go on. Um, and I would, I would love to hear more about that because like you said, so much of, so much of the, uh, the challenge of like getting into hunting is that first, that first hunt. Um, you know, there's a, we have a friend here who's a lifetime Vermonter. Um, he has worked on farms his whole life. Um, and, uh, you know, just in the last year started asking me about taking him out hunting because it's such a it's such a hard thing to get into so i would love to hear more about this sort of it sounds really hands-on and i think that's what a lot of people need um and and i think it's it's a good thing to have to have someone there with you so yeah tell us a little more about that
1: yeah i mean i learned to hunt with a mentor i i was raised vegetarian in a hindu influenced commune and Uh, We thought all hunters were evil. So it was a long journey for me to get to the point where I was actually wanting to try hunting. And when I did start to feel that inner spiritual call, I didn't immediately have a mentor to help me. Um, I was really lucky to meet someone through my Appalachian Trail Through Hike who invited me to come down to his farm, North Carolina, and teach me everything I needed to know. And I had an incredible initiation myself of in seven days going from never having shot a gun in my life to having shot a six point buck and and processed the animal myself you know skinned it gutted it quartered it everything Um, and so that was like a really amazing initiation for me and my goal is to be able to provide something a little similar for other people and I find um, in my weekend skills classes you know you get an introduction to all of the skills and if you're a real self-starter you have other support at home that's that's all you're going to need you can take those skills and run with them but a lot of people don't have the social support. And I've after doing this work for almost 10 years now, I've I've come to see that like people who appear to be like the lone hunter, a lot of them have networks of other people that are hunting that they can talk to and they can bounce ideas off of and they can commiserate with, and they just have this like social support. They're they're like texting other people from the deer stand or whatever that reinforces that practice. Because hunting is hard. You have to get up way before dawn, go out and sit in the freezing cold and be extremely patient and not move very much and be confident in your aim. There's, there's a lot of things that you have to figure out. Um, so I find that by doing these group trips, these like hunting camps, people have that social support within the group. And that is a huge support in, in getting people out there enough time for enough hours that they have a chance to shoot a deer and then having the emotional support of the group afterwards too, if they're feeling strong emotions after, after the process. Um, And I've run those hunting trips different ways, different years, you know, um, times I've run them with people who've been through my weekend skills program. Um, For a while before the pandemic, I was running them as a nine-month apprenticeship where we would practice skills one weekend a month for nine months and then go on this thing together, which was great because people really knew each other deeply and were more prepared. Um, But I've also like in in other years when I didn't have that going, I've taken people who just arrive there and I meet them for the first time on day one and by say day seven they've shot their deer um so it it kind of depends how many people have in the program whether they have time to like catch people up on skills like that um and I think now the e-course may become the prerequisite for it because then I know people have like a basic basic level Um, but I find with rifle hunting you can really go from from zero all the way to shooting a deer really quickly most people and I, f- I find especially people that are socialized as female are very careful and really listen to the technical instruction that I give and therefore have good aim very, very quickly um, and feel confident pulling that trigger. Uh, whereas, you know, I think sometimes people who believe that they should be good at shooting just because of their chromosomes uh, don't actually pay attention to the details as much and might take longer to, to, to dial in that aim. Um, you know, not not true across the board, but I've seen people be really successful doing it pretty fast. Bow hunting is a much uh much more demanding skill set you need to put years of practice in to be, to ethically go out and, and aim an arrow at a living animal. But rifle hunting is pretty accessible.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's incredible. You know, the, the social aspect that you're talking about is um yeah, the 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 sort of lone hunter thing that, uh this this trope that shows up all the time is. Has never been true, like in human history. Um, we're, we're to me, it's just so we're, we understand so intimately that we're a social species, but we think that this one thing that's really important to our survival, we did alone. Like, why? Why would you ever think about it that way, right? Like, we're, yeah, we've never yeah. been that way. There's always been, like, even if you're not, even if you're not the person taking the shot, there's like support staff, so to speak ready to help you butcher this. And, you know, we have some really, really good friends up in Quebec who are uh, Cree and our friend David um, didn't see a town until he was 40. Um, Like he, 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 he has forgotten more than I'll ever know. Um, And, you know, he was talking about, we were, we were up there a few years ago talking about, uh, you know, like shooting a moose and somebody on the trip made a comment about like, you know, it must be nice to have the snowmobile to drag it back like did you guys have to like historically did you drag it back and there's like no we just moved camp to where it was and everybody helped take care of like
1: nice, of, course, yeah. of course that's <laughs> what you would do right
0: like it's it makes yeah. and then in the modern world this idea of like this lone guy probably in like
1: tactical black sitting mm-hmm. out in a tree stand it's just it's just absurd and um, there's all kinds of ways to support and participate in someone's hunt you don't have to be the actual hunter like I spoke with an elder named Nana Wilma from, um, I think she's from Guatemala. And um, I asked, I had a chance to ask her like, are there traditional hunting, you know, she's a Mayan elder. And I asked her if there were traditional um, hunting customs uh, in, in her village. And she told me that uh, if someone was gonna go out hunting for a large game animal, uh, a group of people would light a sacred fire and they would bless that person. And then that person would go out into the forest And the rest of the people would stay there and tend the sacred fire and pray and sing until they came back. And then when that hunter came back, everyone who had been tending the sacred fire would get a share of the meat because it was understood that their prayers were an an integral part of the success of the hunt. Um, so there's all kinds of ways to build community around it.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, I think about, you were talking about this fire. I think about growing up my, uh, I was born in Maryland and growing up and I remember a lot of, uh, you know, things going out, like my family, we did a lot of fishing and stuff and these sort of rituals, I would go into the, you know, like the, the action of going out fishing. And, um, yeah, it's, I I think it's such a human thing to be involved even peripherally to something, to this kind of undertaking. Um, you know, like if, if my grandparents went out fishing, um, my grandmother would make sure that everybody, in whatever campsite they were in or wherever they were would make sure that when they got back from fishing they had a cup of coffee and uh right yeah. like stuff like that and yeah. the irony the camp- being that my grandmother was the person who definitely caught the most fish all the time uh-huh. and still <laughs> and still managed to make sure everybody had the coffee. Like coffee and bacon and donuts right like oh it's-
1: yeah i mean the camp cook is the most important staff member at our hunting oh, expeditions yeah. for sure oh, yeah. and um the person we've had do that sometimes in the past would often like we have a deer shrine in, the, in our camp base area a deer altar and they would light a candle on the deer altar when any whenever anyone was out on a hunt and sort of like be keeping that energy energetic watch going and then have like the most delicious meals to, for when it came back especially once we shoot a deer and then there's all kinds of like you know, yummy organ meat meals and things sure
0: yeah well, that's awesome. Well, we're just about on the hour mark. So maybe this will end up being uh, two episodes, which is great because it saves me time trying to find a next guest. Um, but uh, so I always like to close these up talking about a an experience in the outdoors that has just really stuck with you and sort of whether that's something that kind of formed your ideas for these programs that you run or if it was just uh, just something that you remember from your childhood that has always stuck
1: with you. Um, I mean, there's so many moments, it's hard to choose, but one more recent moment in 2018, um, what I was on a subsistence, uh, canoe trip in Minnesota, where we were eating only food we gathered from the landscape. We'd spent a month harvesting and processing wild rice to carry with us in the canoes. And we were trapping beaver and fishing along the way. And it was also bow season. I was trying to find time to hunt in the mornings. It was hard because we were spending every daylight hour on the river, but uh, one morning we decided to take half a day off and I was able to go out and bow hunt. Um, this was my recurve bow um, that I've been you know, carrying the whole, whole way in the canoe, hoping to get a chance to use it. And uh, it was in this red pine plantation owned by the county. And I was walking the paths and a doe um, came to me. I, I, I saw her. She, she approached. Um, she didn't quite know what I was. She was dancing there like maybe 35 yards away from me. And it was like a deep moment of like ethical decision for me because our group was very hungry at that point. We had been having terrible luck with trapping beaver because the rivers were flooded from a big rain and it was very cold. We had, we had had very little meat. We'd had like one beaver in 21 days divided between seven people. So it was, we're mostly the surviving on like rice and sea salt. And um, we really were hungry and for, for protein, for fat. Uh, And so I really wanted to to harvest this deer for the group. It would have been this this great achievement. Um, But I knew that with that recurve bow, you know, versus with my compound bow or my crossbow or something like that, my effective range, I really need to keep it in 20 yards. If it's it's over 20 yards, you know, I may not make an ethical shot. I might just wound the deer, which is something I always try to avoid. Um, And so I stood there and she was kind of just dancing around, thinking about getting closer, not really getting closer and trying to figure out what I was. And I, I, felt the like ancient hunger of the ancestors, like running through my blood. At that point, I felt this like on a cellular level. I felt the ancestral experience of like I am hungry and I want to shoot this animal, <laughs> um, but ultimately I made the decision not to take the shot. And eventually she ran off, and you know I just had to be you know make that decision that moment. Am I going to? take a wild shot and hope for the best and the chance of getting the like glory from my group of being the one to bring in a whole deer's worth of meat or am i going to acknowledge the fact that i am in i'm basically just in a masochistic vacation i have decided to put myself in this situation where i'm hungry um i at any point i could hitchhike out and buy a pizza um and i don't want to like injure this deer based on me wanting to like have this artificial survival experience Uh, so I made the decision not to take the shot and that taught me at least as much as the times when I have decided to make a shot.
0: That's, that's, yeah, that, that's an, that's an incredible thing to, to bring up, especially talking about this artificial survival thing, a masochistic vacation is what I'm going to start calling like pretty much everything I do.
1: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That's great. If you're all right with it, I'm
0: absolutely going to start using that in my conversations. Credit me once in a
1: while. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Totally. (laughs) Totally. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have anything, any kind of like last thoughts to share before we go?
1: Um, I mean, it's, it's spring here. The maple sap is flowing. I just hope that people are feeling like the excitement in their veins as the sun strengthens and can make some great plans for getting outdoors as the weather warms. And, you know, I love winter vacations too, but for a lot of people, the warmer weather is more accessible. So I just hope people get to get out and, and enjoy it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. We will catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the School of the Forest podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I hope you share it with a few friends. If you did like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other of the major podcast hosting platforms. And lastly, if you'd like to learn more about School of the Forest programs, please check us out at schooloftheforest.com and get in touch with us at any of the contact information you'll find on that site. Thanks.